series called New in Christ. The goal of this series is to uh, show every single person who has placed their faith in Christ the new position that they have in Jesus Christ. There are blessings that we have only through Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at five of those blessings. This is the fourth of the series. We looked at our new identity in Jesus Christ. We looked at a new spirit in Jesus Christ. We looked at our new family in Jesus Christ. And today we will be speaking about our new purpose. I want to introduce our study today on purpose with an interesting study that I came across several years ago. A leadership coach by the name of Kathy Caprino conducted a survey within her leadership community, I guess those that she coaches, or uh, it's kind of the who's who of coaching. And her survey was only one question. The question was this to all of those in her relational network. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? If you could say in one word, what you want more of in life, what would that be? You can answer that for yourself. Let me ask you, what do you think the number one answer might have been? Maybe what would your answer be? Number one thing that you want more of in life. You can participate. This is, the, the floor is open. <laughs> Right? Yeah, if, if you answered like, oh, I wasn't supposed to. Yes, you're allowed to answer this. Love. What else? Time. Hold on. Patience? Vacations. Are, those are nice, right? So love, time, patience, or vacations. I think somebody needs patience. I've said it now three times as a mistake. Somebody here has, has, needs patience. What else? Purpose. There we go. Celine hit the nail on the head. Now, all of those answers are true, but for this specific survey, remember, this is being asked to business folks, business people. She so asked them what they're looking for. The number one answer was purpose. Can you guess what the biggest challenge? So she asked them a follow-up question. What is your biggest challenge to Finding purpose. The answer was simply this. Not knowing what to do with my life. Not knowing what to do with my life. Now keep in mind, these aren't unemployed people. These are business leaders who she coaches. Kind of the who's who of coaching. Those who we would think look or or, are giving advice. Their number one answer was, I'm looking for more purpose. Why can't you find it? Because I don't know what to do with my life. I want you to see very clearly as we begin our discussion on the new purpose that we have in Christ, the direct connection between a sense of meaning, uh, a sense of meaning, a sense of significance, a sense of purpose, and or uh, excuse me, our, our happiness and how that's directly connected to a sense of meaning or purpose. Our sense of happiness or fulfillment, and the direct connection 
to finding a purpose, to finding meaning. Now, by the way, I hope that sounded familiar, because if anybody's ever read our five days to knowing your purpose, I took our beginning opening right out of a book we've written. By the way, we've written this uh, as a church for our members or for anybody else. It's called Five Days of Knowing Your Purpose. That little study by Kathy Caprino and uh, our discussion about where you find purpose, specifically in Jesus Christ, is written in this book. Those should be on the back table. If you have never read this resource, let me invite you to do so. In that resource also is an interesting quote by Mark Twain. And he says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born. And by the way, since you're attending here today, I'm assuming we've already got that covered. You've been born. The second most important day that Twain says is discovering the reason why. So that's what we will be doing today. You should walk out the doors today clearly and specifically knowing What God's Word says, not a study. I'm not going to give you Kathy Caprino's answer to where you find your purpose. You will walk out the doors today knowing what God's Word says about your purpose and specifically your new purpose in Jesus Christ. So here's our outline for this morning. In order to take a look at our new purpose in Christ, we're going to look at three foundational passages. When we talk about new purpose, we're going to see that God has called us to be salt and light in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. God has called us to be ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21. And lastly, disciple makers, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So that's where we're going today. Those will be foundational texts. These are texts which I would encourage you. Uh, These are texts you need to knock out cold. You you need to know these so that when you think of your identity, when you think of your purpose, that you think very specifically of these foundational passages which help you understand your new purpose in Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive into those passages, and before we take a look at uh, where your new purpose is found, and notice I said the word new, The entire series is new in Christ. And if you notice, so why new? Why new in Christ? Why would I distinguish between your purpose and your new purpose? Well, we need to discuss a really important story before we begin today. Because in order to understand purpose, we need to begin to understand where purpose comes from. We can't teach a a sermon on purpose without first beginning to understand where we came from. Uh, So I want to talk about three things before we begin and look at those passages very quickly. I want to talk about how you're created for a purpose. I want to talk about how that purpose was lost. I want to talk about how that purpose was restored. Let's talk about how you were created for a purpose. Turn with me to Genesis 1, 26-31. And I want to first remind us, as we are on this journey of discovering our new purpose in Christ, the original purpose with which God created. Genesis 1, 26-31. Let's read together. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And let me skip down to the conclusion of the creation account. And it says, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. The reason I wanted to base our our study on purpose is that God has created you for a purpose. If they were going to put one name on that purpose, it's to be an image bearer. God created man in his own image. Notice that God is the creator, and notice that we are the created being. As the created being made in God's image, our identity and our purpose come from God. That's a really significant principle or or foundational truth that you need to understand when we think about identity and purpose. Because God created and because we are the created being, our identity first and foremost comes from who God created us to be and then the mission that he has asked us to fulfill. So if we were to say, uh, use biblical language, our identity is found in our relationship to God. We're created in his image We're created to know Him, to enjoy Him, and to be like Him. That's what it means to image God. Let's talk about our purpose coming out of Genesis. Our purpose flows from our identity. God gave man the responsibility to, when I say man, I mean Adam and Eve. I mean all of their descendants. To rule over the earth in the very same way that God would rule over the earth. That's what it meant to image God. And to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God's goodness and God's glory. That was our original purpose. Notice I say original purpose. The reason I say original is because we've lost that purpose. I think you can look around and see the state of the world that we live in today and recognize that things went terribly wrong from the time that God created man in his image to rule over this earth and to spread his goodness and his glory and to rule over the earth in the exact same way that God in his wisdom and in his truth and in his goodness and in his justice would rule over the earth. And so the second thing is we need to see how we lost our purpose. How did things go terribly wrong? Well, the Bible tells us that man rebelled against God. Rather than seeking to be an image bearer, reflecting God's goodness and ruling over God's good earth as God intended, that man decided to choose what was right and wrong for himself. Man disobeyed God. He rebelled against God. And in a sense, we've moved moved from being a glory giver to a glory stealer. When we talk about this idea of sin, you need to see that sin has completely messed up our identity and our purpose. We no longer see God for who he is. We no longer reflect God because we don't fully know him, enjoy him, or love him. And instead of God at the center, what we have done is we have decided to to define truth for ourselves, to determine purpose for ourselves, 
to live only for ourselves. We are at the center of creating our own identity and purpose. In fact, if you look at the world around us, then you will see the language that we use. Everybody is defining what my identity and everybody is looking for what fulfills or what, what gives me satisfaction for how I live. And that's had a devastating effect on our world and it's had a devastating effect on every single one of us. Now, part three of the beginning of the story. We saw how we are created for purpose. We saw how in sin we have lost our purpose. Now we need to get to the good news and we've already uh, uh, talked about this at several points in our, ser- our, our service already. The good news is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God in his love and his mercy and forgiveness, he responded to our rebellion by sending Jesus to rescue us, to reconcile our broken relationship, and to begin to work to restore the image of God in us. He rescued us. He reconciled us. He is actively working to restore the image of God in us. We're going to look later at this text, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, this is where the name of the whole series comes from, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hence the reason I say your new purpose. We have a new purpose in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. And that's where we want to turn. Because in Christ... God has worked to recreate you, to restore you, so that you might fulfill God's original purpose of you being an image bearer and bringing Him glory. The only way our purpose is ever restored is through Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to go. Let's look at how Jesus Christ has called us to be salt and light, ambassadors and disciple makers. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Let's read together. Beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want to point out to you in verse 13 and 14 the two you are statements. So speaking to his disciples, if you're familiar with this text, Matthew 5 through 7, those three chapters, what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, in a sense, a summary of Jesus' teaching. When people will go out to hear Jesus, we often hear the crowds going out to listen to Jesus. Matthew 5 through chapter 7 is a summary of what it looked like to hear Jesus speak, of what it looked like for him to talk about the kingdom. And specifically, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom, 
he speaks to his disciples and he talks to them specifically. And he says, you, speaking of disciples, not to the crowds, are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Those two phrases are what we often call a metaphor in English grammar. A metaphor is simply a comparison. And it says you are salt, you are light. And so in speaking to his disciples, Jesus is making a comparison to how we use salt, to how light works and functions in saying you are salt and you are light. And what Jesus is doing, if we look at these metaphors, Jesus is helping his disciples understand their purpose. These metaphors get at what is their purpose. What is Jesus' purpose in calling disciples to himself? He says, you are salt and you are light. So let's take a look at those two metaphors. Salt. Well, salt really served two purposes. The first purpose is salt was a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators back in those days, and so oftentimes they would use salt to preserve things. And so salt is a preservative. And if you look at the comparison, Jesus is basically saying that just as salt can preserve food, Jesus is disciples are to live in this world in such a way that we are preservative of God's good character, of God's truth, of the way that God desires for us to live. And so that the way that we live serves as a reminder to those around us of what is good and right and true, preserving a knowledge of God in this world that it has rejected and rebelled. The second thing that salt does is we know that we use salt to flavor and taste. And what Jesus is saying is in the same way that we use salt to flavor a food, that the way that you live leaves a certain taste in people's mouths. In fact, we even use that phrase, not just for food. When, sometimes when we face a situation or, or we speak to a certain person, we will literally use the words, they left a bad taste in my mouth. We use that phrase to explain that someone's behavior or their words or the, the, the general way in which they live is experienced by us in a negative way. They've left a bad taste in my mouth. And what Jesus is saying is, you can have the exact opposite effect. Is that the taste that you can leave in the mouths of those who experience you or your life, your words, your deeds, is that you can positively impact them. Let's look at light as a metaphor. Jesus gives two examples of his meaning of light. He says, a city on a hill is, is something that can be easily seen. And then he also talks about how a lamp is placed on a stand to provide light, not covered under. When I was a kid, we, uh, I think I, I learned the word bushel, not covered under uh, a basket. And so when we're looking at the metaphor of light, basically what Jesus is saying is, light, a city on a hill is going to be seen. It cannot remain hidden. And if you light a, a lamp in your household, today we usually just flip on a switch, but back then, a, a, not even a candle, it would be like an oil lamp, was the only way to light the house. And so when you lit that uh, lamp, and, and by the way, that was uh, to burn oil was something that was expensive. It was not uh, like our houses today where we can have lights on in all kinds of places. When it got dark, a family might have one lamp in the house. And they would put that on the highest place so it would provide the most light. 
So Jesus draws on that metaphor and he says, in the very same way that your faith, the faith of his disciples, is not to be hidden, but it is to be put in a place where it provides the most light. Salt and light. Jesus gives you two purposes for your life. And notice that as people see your salt and light, that it should be pointing others to glorify your Father in heaven. That the way you live is a living example of your Father in heaven. I don't know if, uh, once I've been a parent, one thing, uh, just a quick illustration. We, we have been in the habit of our kids going to somebody else's house and somebody else's kids coming to ours. One of the things I know very specifically, my wife and I have talked about when we've had different uh, children in our home, is that uh, there are some who are very respectful, some who it's please and thank you. They ask permission for everything that you can see that they respect adults. And I'll just say we've had the opposite experience. And you have probably had the same experience in life. You've probably dealt with children who are kind, respectful, uh, and, and have an understanding of the relationship with adults, and you've probably dealt with children or not. Here's one thing that is often said, is when, when you see a child who misbehaves, you often will say, I can tell the kind of home that he has been raised in. I can tell the kind of parents that this child has. It's very interesting that the behavior of children profoundly reflects the parenting that is going on. Jesus is saying, in the same way that we live and act and talk in this world, it reflects profoundly on our Heavenly Father. And Jesus says, live in such a way that others might see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. The short little summary for this section is this. Your purpose is to be a pointer. God has called you to point others to your Father in heaven. What does it look like to be salt or light? You're a pointer. Your life should be lived in such a way that others would be able to see God's goodness and see God's wisdom on display and to see how you treat others and say, someone like that, where do you learn that? Just as we say for little children who have good manners, look at how their parents have raised them in the same way those would see around us would see God's imprint on our lives that we would be children of a good and loving and kind and gracious Father. Let's look at our second purpose, which is ambassadors. Take a look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, we've already read the first part of this passage. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's zero right in on this idea of ambassador. In verse 20 it says, We are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is what we, in official terms, or call an, an official envoy. It's a diplomatic agent. It's someone with a, 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 a rank that is a, of a foreign government officer that you are able to reside in a country outside of your home country, in a foreign country, and that you represent the interest of your government, of another sovereign uh, country. And oftentimes, an ambassador is, a, is appointed to have a special or diplomatic task. So Jesus is, is, or Paul is making a comparison here in 2 Corinthians about the fact that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? Ambassador is an appointed official agent, a representative, to be representing your country or your kingdom in another foreign land. And as part of that, of being an ambassador, that you have a special assignment or task. So we're told in verse 20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. And we're told very specifically that we have two tasks as an ambassador. If you look at this, we have the message of reconciliation and we have the ministry of reconciliation. So we have people to say, well, what is our special task that we're called to as an ambassador? We're told two things, the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's take a look at those in turn. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 21, we see what is the message of reconciliation. And it says, in verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In verse 21, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, I didn't realize we were covering that specific question in our catechism today, but it, it covers exactly what this verse means. That Jesus has died in our place for our sins and given us his righteousness, his right standing before God. That's the message of reconciliation. That is what we share with others. The ministry of reconciliation, then, we see in verse 20. It says, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? It's to appeal and to implore others to be reconciled to God. It's nothing other then inviting others to be reconciled to God. The story of Benjamin today, I can't think of a better example than somebody who was living as an ambassador for Christ. Because Vito told us this morning, very clearly, I was not interested in hearing more about Jesus Christ. But you know why Benjamin didn't care whether what Vito was interested? And I mean probably in a loving way. Because when you're ambassadors for Christ, if you're calling is to represent Jesus and that you're invited to appeal as if you were God himself and to implore others 
to be reconciled to God. When out of love, we don't stop sharing the message of Jesus Christ because hell is to pay. The consequences of somebody not knowing or hearing the message of the gospel in this life is the fact that there are eternal consequences. They will either be reconciled to God or they will die outside of a relationship with God. They will either experience eternity with Christ or they will experience eternity outside of Christ. And if we know that truth, then like Benjamin, we can gladly keep sharing, loving our friend, knowing he might not be open now. But my job as an ambassador is not simply to say, oh, I tried and they're not interested. Our job as an ambassador never stops until Jesus Christ takes us home to be with him. We have this calling to invite and implore. So here's the summary. Your purpose is to be a reconciler. God has called you to invite others to be reconciled to him. First purpose, be a pointer. God has called you to point others by how you live, by your good works to him. As an ambassador, you're called to be a reconciler. Your job is to, not only that now that you are going to heaven, it's to take as many people as you can with you. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, we probably need it. If you're not saying amen out loud, I hope you're saying it in your heart because your job is not, now that you have come to know Christ, is that you have come to know Christ so that others might come to know Christ through you. You have a relational network that God has placed you in where you bear the responsibility is my job is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ wherever God has placed me. Let's look at the third purpose, and that is the disciple maker. Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20. Most of you or many of you might know this passage very well. It's called the Great Commission, and it simply says this. This is Jesus, in a sense, his summary command to his disciples as he's departing from them, as he's leaving his mission on earth where he has not only called 12 disciples and trained them up, but also laid down his life. Jesus is now getting ready to entrust that mission to his 12. And he says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of an age, or to the end of the age. Let's define disciple really quickly. Disciple is simply a learner or follower. That's all a disciple means. Today, we have, that term has, has taken on a very specific Christian meaning, but a disciple is simply a learner or a follower. A disciple is, is a student who is following a teacher. Specifically, when we see the word disciple used of Jesus and his disciples, and obviously that specific context of a disciple is that you are a follower of Jesus. So the, what is a disciple maker? A disciple maker is a disciple who is following Jesus and helping others to know and follow him. How? Well, it's by first living a life where you're pointing to God. Secondly, being an ambassador 
carrying the ministry of reconciliation, constantly sharing the ministry uh, uh, or constantly sharing of God's desire to reconcile people to himself. And then thirdly, it's helping them obey his commands. It's walking alongside of somebody else. When you think about this, if being an ambassador is inviting people to be reconciled to God, Jesus' call to make disciples is to follow up being a reconciler with inviting people to an apprenticeship where you are walking alongside of them so that they might learn Christ. New believers, for somebody who has placed their faith in Jesus, they need to move from spiritual infants to spiritual maturity. And how do they do that? Well, the church is the place that God has called us as disciples to be a family of faith and then to walk alongside of those who have come to Christ so that they might mature in their faith. No new believer can ever move towards spiritual maturity alone. In fact, all of us need somebody to provide a living example and model for what does it look like to walk out the Christian faith. We have Jesus' instructions here. But all of us need a real-life guide, and that is the way that God has designed the church, that we would be a community, discipling one another, helping one another grow in the faith. The simple summary of Matthew 28 is this. Your purpose is to be a reproducer. God has called you not only to be a disciple, but to make disciples. So let's look at how we can respond to God's word today. We began with our roadmap. We looked at three foundational passages about your purpose. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, we learned that you are salt and light. Your purpose is to be a pointer. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, you're ambassadors for Christ. Your purpose is to be a reconciler. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says that you are to make disciples Your purpose is to be a reproducer. Let me pause right there because one thing that maybe you have not put together. Have you noticed how much of you finding your purpose is simply you participating in God's mission? Have you noticed, let me say it again, that you finding your purpose is nothing more than you participating in God's mission? God's desire is to see His glory cover the earth like water covers the seas. We know from Revelation that God's desire is that the good news of Jesus Christ would reach every tongue and tribe and nation, that the gospel would go to the very ends of the earth. And when we look at the fact that you are salt and light, that you are called to be an ambassador, that you are called to be a disciple-maker, Have you recognized that your purpose is participating in God's mission? That it is God's mission that gives shape to your life? It is God's mission that gives you significance? It is God's mission that gives clear purpose to your life? And the reason that is important is this. We began with Kathy Caprino in the study. What are you looking for in life? Happiness. Where do you find it? Purpose. Who defines your purpose? Me. What is God's answer? God created you in His image. We rebelled. God in His gracious forgiveness and kindness 
sent Christ to us so that he might die for our sins. He has rescued us. He has reconciled us and he is working to restore the image in God in us. And so when we talk about person, the purpose, it's really more about talking about mission. This is why that fact is important. Right now, as you sit in this room, you might have a vocation, or maybe uh, you're a, a, uh, a housewife, or maybe you're a stay-at-home dad. Maybe you're a teacher, police officer, lawyer, doctor. Do you know our world defines your identity and your worth and your purpose by what you do? Do you know that God defines your, your identity first in being made in his image? And only out of being made in his image does it flow what you are to do? Your new purpose in Jesus Christ is to be salt and light, an ambassador, a disciple maker, a pointer, a reconciler, a reproducer. If you are a Christian today, if you are in Christ, let me just ask you, what steps do you need to make in order to become a pointer, a reconciler, reproducer? What decisions do you need to make today to begin to live up to your calling? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I know that all of us are on a journey. If we were to speak to Vito several years ago, he was on a spiritual journey. He did not yet know Christ. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but here's what I want to invite you. Whether you come today and you would identify yourself as a Christian, maybe you would identify yourself as doubting, maybe even a skeptic. What the scriptures invite us to believe is this you will never be able to define or determine your purpose apart from the God who made you, who created you, and from Jesus Christ, who has rescued you, reconciled you, and will restore you to the image of God. If you would like to know more about that, let me invite you to make your first step to following Christ today. I would love to talk with you after the service. Alex, would, uh, if, if he's free, or if you've been brought by a member of River of Life, talk with them. But here's one thing I want you to know. You will never discover your purpose apart from the God who made you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have a purpose in this world. And whether we are a doctor or a lawyer, whether we are influential or whether, God, we have no influence in this world, what we do does not define us. God, our identity comes from being made in your image. And every single person, whether young or old, no matter which language or which culture we come from, can be salt and light, an ambassador or a disciple maker. Every single one of us gets to live for the calling that is the, the most glorious calling in all of the world. And that is to be ministers of the gospel, ministers of the good news to invite people to hear the good story that can transform their lives. We pray that today this message from your word would impact lives, that God, it would begin to grow and take root for those who are already believers in Christ, that it would move them toward, to pursue their calling. For those of, uh, in this audience who have yet to place their faith in Christ, God, would you be working 
And would you move them to take a step towards faith in Christ today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.